We're going to be stepping aside from our study in the Gospel of John and have a message here in the next three weeks, actually, out of the Psalms. And this morning we're in Psalm 86. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Psalm 86. It's a psalm of prayer. Imagine with me this week that you were to be diagnosed with a lethal condition and the doctor said that you would die within hours if you didn't have a specific medicine, a pill, and it needed to be taken every evening. And you went to many doctors to get other confirmations and they all said the same, this was the medicine, this pill needed to be taken every evening. It's serious, isn't it? Question is, would you forget to take the pill? Would you get around to it some nights and then other nights you just let it slip your mind? Would you fill up your, your day and your evening with all good activities, good things that glorify God as to neglect to take this medicine? I don't believe that to be true. In fact, it'd be so crucial, I'm sure you would set multiple alarms in your phone, your iPad, anyway, you'd tell friends, call my house, make sure I, I take this, this medicine, I, I need this pill. You, you would never forget, you wouldn't let anything get in the way of taking the medicine, right? If we don't pray, we're not going to make it. Prayer is like that. We don't spend time talking with our God. We're not going to make it for what we're facing. We have to pray. It can't, it can't be something that slips through our minds. What I shared with you now just is the introduction to Tim Keller's book on prayer. And it shocked me back to the reality of the importance of prayer. Do we think of prayer in this light? Is it that important to us? Or is it something we just tack on to the end of our day, the beginning of our day, beginning of meals? What is prayer? Have you asked that question before? Prayer is communication. It's talking with God in the simplest form, right? But I want to expand on that. Prayer is really conveying a message to God. We call it talking with God, and we're right, but what happens when there's times in our life we don't know what to say? In Romans 8, 26, tells us what happens. It says, likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses, for we do not know what to pray as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings that are too deep for words. We talked about the Holy Spirit last week and his ministry in our lives, and and here Paul instructs us in the very special way that, that God has sent himself to live inside of us to minister and to help. Have you ever had those days where you, you want to pray, you, you do pray, but you just don't know what to say? We want to be in the constant presence of God and talk with him, but we don't have the words. And, and God says, I know. And I've given you the spirit to intercede in your weakness. You don't know how to pray as you ought. So the spirit's there interceding for you. So he communicates to God. God speaks for us. He says he helps us in our weakness. He intercedes. He mediates. He, he's our advocate. And he communicates with God with groanings that are too deep for mere words. Too deep for words. 
We recognize in ourselves sometimes there's moments where we're just inadequate. We, we don't know what to say. Our prayers, we don't know how to communicate with God. And he's there to give us strength and to lead. And prayer is more than just asking God for things. Prayer is learning. Prayer is not the way to get more from God. Prayer is a way to get more of God. And the Holy Spirit comes and lives and dwells in us and teaches us and defends us and strengthens us and, and comes and intercedes for us. So we can experience and fully understand the theology and live that out. He, he takes what we know and puts it into practice through prayer. And nothing but prayer will reveal, reveal you, you to yourself. Because only before God, you can see who you are, who you truly are. And in prayer, you, you, you learn who you are before God. Prayer means knowing yourself as God sees you. And we do so desperately want to know ourselves. In Psalm 86, as you see, as we'll go through here, we learn about David, about his issues, his circumstances, his struggles. We learn about him, how it's affecting him. And in the psalm, you see a conversation. Prayer is, is a continuing conversation with God. God started the conversation. It started when God gave us his, his word. God started the communication. And we learn more specifically about God and, the, and continue as we study his word. As we read and study his word, we, we hear God speaking to us and we respond in prayer. And some people say, well, in the Old Testament, they could actually hear an audible voice of God and I'd like to hear the audible voice of God and I have the answer. Read your Bible out loud. God spoke to us. It's here. And through the word and through the spirit, prayer becomes answering God. Continue the conversation. Folks, you can only know God through knowing the Bible. And through prayer, it's continuing the conversation that God started through his word. And with his grace, which he gives to us, we can have that full encounter with him. We can know him. And so the power of prayer doesn't lie in our effort or striving or any special technique. It's it's rather our knowledge of God, what we read of God in his word. We know who we're praying to only if we first learn of him in the Bible. Our, our prayers should, should rise up of the immersion of, of the Bible. We should plunge ourselves into the sea of God's language and scripture. And we need to listen to God's word. We need to study God's word and think of God's word, reflect and ponder on God's word until there's a, a language for us to answer back in this communication with God. And our hearts and minds are, are so full of, of his word. And prayer grows out of that time in the word. Just like a, a sponge needs to be saturated in water first, we need to be saturated in the word. We need to dunk our minds into the water of the word to soak up his truth. And when we do, our prayers change. And there's so much more I'm, I'm sure we could cover about prayer. But I want to look specifically at David's prayer here in Psalm 86. There's four things that I want you to see in this psalm. 
First is the question, why should we pray? David answers that. And the second is, why, why should we pray then to God? The third is, how should we pray? And the fourth is, what should we pray for? So if you haven't already, look with me to Psalm 86 and follow with me as I read Psalm of David. It says here at the beginning, it's a prayer of David. In verse one, incline your ear, O Lord, and answer me, for I am poor and needy. Preserve my life, for I am godly. Save your servant who trusts in you. You are my God. Be gracious to me, O Lord, for to you do I cry all the day. Gladden the soul of your servant, for to you, O Lord, do I lift up my soul. For you, O Lord, are good and forgiving, abounding in steadfast love to all who call upon you. Give ear, O Lord, to my prayer. Listen to my plea for grace. In the day of my trouble, I call upon you, for you answer me. There is none like you among the gods, O Lord, nor are there any works like yours. All the nations you have made shall come and worship before you, O Lord, and shall glorify your name. For you are great and do wondrous things. You alone are God. Teach me your way, O Lord, that I may walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. I give thanks to you, O Lord my God, with my whole heart, and I will glorify your name forever. For great is your steadfast love toward me. You have delivered my soul from the depths of Sheol. O Lord, insolent men have risen up against me. A band of ruthless men seeks my life. And do not set you before them. But you, O Lord, are a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Turn to me and be gracious to me. Give your strength to your servant and save the son of your maidservant. Show me a sign of your favor that those who hate me may see and be put to shame because you, Lord, have helped me and comforted me. Would you join me in prayer? God, what a privilege it is to come before your throne and to know that you hear us that you desire to hear us. This morning, God, we come gathered together as the body of Christ here in Edgewood, as a family of God, to worship. And we've worshiped you in song, the reading of your word, and giving back. And now, God, we worship you by the preaching of your word. We ask that you would be honored and glorified in this message. That you would be the focus. God, help us this morning. Help us to listen well. Help us to worship. May you bring understanding to our minds and our hearts. May you bring conviction. May we leave this place this morning, God, different than when we came in. And we'll be sure to give you all the glory for what you do here. For we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. The first thing I want you to see this morning in this psalm is why we should pray. Two reasons. First, David begins our psalm with the truth of who we are before God. He says in verse 1, Incline your ear, O Lord, and answer me, for I am poor and needy. We pray because we're needy people and we have troubles. David knows who he is in light of 
who God is. But do we, do we agree with David? Do we, do we see ourselves as needy people? It, it may seem obvious that we need to pray when trouble comes, but how often is that really true? How many of us, if we're honest, try to fix an issue first before going to God in prayer? How many of us strive to find a solution first? Then when there's no direction, no answers, then, then we go to God in prayer. We need to begin with who we are, knowing that we need God. We're, we're needy people. In verse 7, he says, In the day of my trouble I call upon you, for you answer me. And then verse 14, O God, insolent men have risen up against me. A band of ruthless men seek my life. David's in trouble. He knows he's in trouble. He realizes that there's no way out from the situation that he's in. He needs God. This verse can be reworded for a number of enemies of our day. Whether it's literal enemies of our day, whether it's sicknesses that spread in our day. Our world is full of trouble and we need to know who to turn to. David does, he turns to God. Another reason we pray is because we're not God. Verse 2. It says, preserve my life, for I am godly. Save your servant who trusts you. You are my God. This may seem too simple, but we need this reminder. I mean, it seems obvious, right? We're not God, and yet we act as if we are God in control. We act as if we have the answers. To fail to pray is not merely to break some religious rules. It's a failure to treat God as God. It's a sin against his glory. And the prophet Samuel said, far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord by ceasing to pray for you. Prayer is recognizing that we are not God. That we need him. And we need to be careful of this dangerous delusion that we created ourselves and that we can sustain ourselves. We can't. God is the one who brings air into our lungs every morning. God is the one who woke you up. And David prays here because he knows that he's needy. He knows that he's not God and he needs to trust in him. And we need to pray for the same reasons. The second, why should we pray to God? We pray to God because he is Lord and deserves our worship. You can see throughout the psalm, David mentions who he's praying to. Right off the bat in verse 1, he says, Incline your ear, O Lord. And you notice in your Bible there, there's all capital letters. It's a Hebrew word he uses here as Yahweh. And later in verse 3, he says, Be gracious to me, O Lord. And if you see in your Bible, it's, it's different. It's written different. Capital L and then lowercase O-R-D. And this is the Hebrew word Adonai. Yahweh is the name by which God identifies himself to Moses. If you remember back in the Old Testament, the translation of the personal name of God, I am who I am, he says. And Adonai is the most exalted title that the Old Testament uses for God. It's the same title that's given to Jesus when he, he's referred to as Lord. The term Adonai means the supreme sovereign one. So we pray to God because he's our Lord. He's in complete control. And we pray to God because he's the one worthy of our prayers. He is our Lord. 
Verse 9 says, All the nations you have made shall come and worship before you. O Adonai, supreme and sovereign one, we shall glorify your name. That's what it's saying. That's what David is saying here. David breaks into praise of God because he's deserving of worship. He's our sovereign Lord, deserving of our submission to him and our adoration. And whenever I get discouraged in, in ministry, I turn to these passages just like this to remind myself, to preach to myself that I'm on God's side and God cannot lose. Just so you know, the bad guys lose, the good guys win, okay? That's what he's saying here. He's greater than all the nations and will exert his greatness to bring the nations to himself. Folks, the great commission cannot fail. Verse nine is not a, a maybe or a possibility. It's a certainty. He says, all the nations you have made shall come and worship before me. There's no doubt in David's mind. Psalm 22, 27, and 28 says, All the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord, and all the families of the nations shall worship before him. For dominion belongs to the Lord, and he rules over the nations. In other words, God is great. That is what he's saying here. And his greatness is so great that he cannot lose. He cannot be denied his inheritance. Remember, Jesus said in the Gospels, I will build my church. I will build my church, and the gates of hell should not prevail against it. It's a guarantee. But we also pray to God because he's great, and there's none like him, as we've said. Verse 10, for you are great and do wondrous things, and you alone are God. Verse 8, there is none like you among the gods. O oh Lord, nor are there any works like yours. And the question that rolls into my mind in this is, do we see the greatness of God in our lives? Do we see it, or are we so self-focused so that we miss it? If we saw the greatness of God, we would not be so greedy and covet. We would be satisfied in what we have. If we saw the greatness of God, our eyes wouldn't stray after lustful images and thoughts we would be content where God has us. If we saw the greatness of God, we wouldn't get angry at our children so easily. We would remember God's patience for us. If we saw the greatness of God, we wouldn't pout and get hurt so easily in our marriages. We would show grace after grace to the one that we chose. If we saw the greatness of God, we wouldn't worry about our looks so much. We would strive to know God more and serve him. If we saw the greatness of God, we wouldn't get so discouraged at the evil and the godlessness in our culture. We would trust the one who is greater than the culture and know that he holds it all together. And there are hundreds, hundreds more good effects that would come into our lives if we kept the greatness of God into the front of our minds and gripped with the awesome reality of who he is. And we need to echo David's prayer here. Remember how great God is. Are you convinced that God is great? If so, then our prayer should be saturated with this. We should see and understand and remember how great God is and worship before him. 
The third thing I want you to see is how we should pray. There are four things from the psalm that I want to highlight of how we should pray. The first thing is, is we should pray trusting. Verse two, he says, preserve my life for I am godly. Save your servant who trusts in you. You are my God. A number of years ago, a treasure was written, many hundreds of years ago actually, by John Calvin, the Institutes of Christian Religion. And in this magnificent work, he, he lays out what Christian life looks like. I was given a copy of this by Marcia Davis a number of months ago before she passed away a book that I look forward to having on my own. And in this book, he has a, an incredible section called The Rules of Prayer. And Calvin's third rule of prayer is that we, have a, we should have a submissive trust to God. And we hear the same thing in verse two here of David, who reminds himself where his trust should be. And Calvin writes, he says, anyone who stands before God to pray must abandon all thoughts of his own glory. We should be trusting God even though things may not go the way we think they should go. You know, this is how Jesus prayed also. Not my will, but yours be done. And one of the purposes of prayer is to bring our hearts to trust God more and to trust his wisdom for our lives. And we should pray with confidence and hope too. Calvin writes, though cast down and overcome by true humility, we should be nonetheless encouraged to pray by a sure hope that our prayer will be answered. God hears our prayers and will answer according to his will. And there needs to be a, a balance between a, a restful trust and a confident hope for a believer. And we must avoid the extremes of either not asking God for things or, or asking God in a way to try to bend his will to match ours. We must strive with God with a deep acceptance of his will for our lives, whatever it is. We pray trusting him. Second, we should pray continually. Look at verse three. It says, be gracious to me, O Lord, for to you do I cry all the day. Praying is hard work. It's a relationship and relationships take work. And prayer should be done regularly and persistently and, and daily, as David says. We pray whether we feel like it or not. And we, we continue to pray even if we feel like we're not getting anything out of it. You know, imagine with me that you're sharing a room with someone. You have a roommate. And this roommate never talks to you. They acknowledge you coming and going when you bring food, they, they get a quick thanks. But really, you don't hear much. Maybe a one-liner, two-liner with the phrase, got to run at the end. And when you mention it to them, they say, well, I don't, get, I don't get very much out of talking with you. I find it boring, actually. It kind of seems one-sided. I can't focus while I talk to you, so I'm just not going to try anymore. Regardless how exciting the conversation is, it's rude to say that to someone. They owe it to you, right? I mean, you share the same living space. Rudeness is not an accurate word for what happens when we dis disregard God in prayer. I mean, where does the Holy Spirit live? Inside of us. We share a room together. 
And we're sinning by not coming to our maker, our sustainer, our redeemer in prayer. We owe him everything we have. Prayer is hard work. And sometimes in life, it's, it seems like agony because how hard it is in the circumstances. Sometimes we have to wrestle to pray. We, we often wrestle in prayer just to concentrate. And we never outgrow this, but we need to persevere and pray continually. The third thing I want you to see is we need to pray thankfully. Verse 12 says, I give thanks to you, O Lord, my God, with my whole heart, and I will glorify your name forever. And then verse 13, for great is your steadfast love toward me. You have delivered my soul from the depths of shale. Many people talk about prayer, or excuse me, praise and thanksgiving as being two different kinds of prayer, and there certainly are different distinctions between the two. Ultimately, thanksgiving is, is a subcategory of praise. Thanksgiving is praising God for what he has done while well, praising God is adoring him for who he is. And thanksgiving should fill our lives. There should never be a day where we're not thankful to God. There's so much surrounding us to be thankful for. But unfortunately, that isn't always the case. And the reason is, is we're plagiarists at the core. Plagiarism is refusal to give thanks and give credit where it's due. And we all struggle with cosmic plagiarism. When God brings good things into our lives and we refuse to give thanks to him. Instead, we feel self-sufficient. We, we take credit for a gift that was given to us. I was convicted of this this week. I'm not as thankful as I should be. And days and weeks go by so quickly when I don't spend time just thanking God. When good things come to us and we do everything possible to tell ourselves that we accomplished this or we at least deserve this. And we take the credit and we plagiarize. And when our lives go along steadily and smooth and calm without much difficulties, we don't, we don't then in those moments live in quiet amazement of who God is. And thankfulness to him. Instead, we forget God. And what happens there is that we rob God of glory and we consume that glory ourselves. And furthermore, we, we fool ourselves that we are the ones that keep life going. And when we do that, we rob ourselves of joy in knowing that the God of the universe, the creator of all, is the one who's given us everything. And who sustains us? We need to be thankful people in our prayers. We need to thank him for how he gives and sustains us. We need to thank him for making us in his image and capable of knowing people. We think about that. He created us as people to, to have relationships with other people. We thank him for that. We can get to know people and love them serve them. We need to thank God for all the treasures of life, for the food, the clothing, the shelter, the things that we just, we pass over and think is just normal. Folks, that's all from God. We thank God for our spiritual life. What we get to experience right now, we can, 
we can, because of Jesus Christ, go right to the throne room of God and talk with him. We thank God for his patience. David says in verse 15, but you, O Lord, are a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Have you thanked God for his patience in your life? And he patiently waited for you to repent and to trust in him. Thank God for his patience in the lives of your family and friends that have yet to trust in Christ. That he's slow to anger, abounding in love, he patiently waits. We need to pray thankfully. Fourth thing, we need to pray in humility. Verse three, be gracious to me, O Lord, for to you do I cry all the day. Gladden the soul of your servant, for to you, O Lord, do I lift up my soul. And then verse 16, turn to me and be gracious to me. Give your strength to your servant and save the son of your maidservant. Humility is, is needed for the Christian life and it's most desperately needed in our prayer life. Calvin in his Institutes warns against the common view that prayer was a way of putting on our, our best spiritual clothes as, as it were to impress God with our, with our devotion to him. He, he completely rejects the idea that God could be appeased by our devotions or that he would hear prayers for the sake of just mere performance. And those who come to prayer expecting fruit must come with the exact opposite attitude. We need to be ruthlessly honest about our flaws and our weaknesses before God. And you hear it in David's words here in the psalm. Be gracious to me, your servant, your slave, doulos. We come to God knowing that he is our only hope and in grace and forgiveness. And we need to be honest with ourselves, honest about our doubts and our fears and our emptiness. We need to come before God with the disposition of a beggar, Calvin says. We need to drop all the pretense and, and flee from the phoniness. Because, folks, it's not fooling God. He sees right through it. He, he knows us. Prayer brings you into God's presence where our shortcomings are fully exposed. Jeremiah says, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. If we approach God with pride and, and blaming others for our problems rather than taking responsibility for them, we will not be seeking God with all our heart. Prayer requires the abandonment of self-justification and blame shifting. There should be no spiritual pride in our prayers. Instead, we should be filled with humility, recognizing who we are before God. We should pray in humility. Well, the last thing I want to end this morning is what, what should we pray for from this psalm? What should we pray for? There's six simple prayers listed for us here in this psalm. Six that I see at least. Maybe you find more. The first one I want to mention is we need to pray that he will save us and keep us. Verse two, preserve my life for I am godly. Save your servant who trusts in you. You are my God and be gracious to me, O Lord, for to you do I cry all the day. And while David is in the midst of his enemies, he looked to his God for protection and for keeping. 
And David was surrounded by many times in his life with real-life enemies that were out for blood. And we should have the same confidence in God when we're faced with the enemies in our life. Whether that enemy is a job loss or the death of a loved one, we trust God to keep us. We should remember and rehearse the benediction from Jude. It says, Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy to the only God our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. He keeps us. He saves us. The second simple prayer is to pray that make our heart happy in God. It says in verse 4, Gladden the soul of your servant, for to you, O Lord, do I lift up my soul. Humans were not just created to be rescued from sin, but to be flooded with joy in our creator. But sin plunged us into despair. God sent his son to rescue us so that we could have everlasting joy. Charles Spurgeon said of this passage, he said, as much as, excuse me, as much as if he said, Lord, when I cannot climb the hill of fellowship, I labor to do so. If I cannot enter into your presence, I groan until I do so. We ought either to be rejoicing the Lord or pining after him. Spurgeon's common prayer about this very thing was this. Oh, make my heart rejoice or ache. Resolve each doubt for me, Lord. If it be not broken, break and heal if it be. He desires a relief of joy to come to his soul in praying. The third prayer is we need to pray that God would teach us his ways. Look at verse 11. Teach me your way, O Lord, that I may walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. Knowing truth is, is not the end, but living out the truth. God wants to see his, his truth not only planted deep within our hearts and our souls, but to flow out in the relationships. A Christian is, is saved apart from doing works, but we're saved into a life full of doing works that were prepared for us before we were created. We just wrap your mind around that. Before we were born, God already set out the works that he would have for us to do to glorify him. And we need to pray that God would be, teach us, change us, so that we'll continue to walk in his truth. We want to live in the school of God, learning and growing in him. Spurgeon said, we must not be like a bull which needs to be driven and urged forward because it doesn't like the road, but as a man who voluntarily go where their trusted friend and helper points their path. Well, the fourth prayer we should pray is that God would give us strength. Verse 16, he says, Turn to me and be gracious to me. Give your strength to your servant and save the son of your maidservant. J.I. Packer wrote, Prayer is a means to energy. Spiritual alertness, vigor, and confidence are regular spinoff from the earnest prayer of any subject. And the, the Puritans spoke of prayer as oiling the wheels of our soul. I love reading the Puritans. Another Puritan writer fluently said, prayer brings with it a, a food, as food does, a new sense of power and health. The life of every organism is but the constant victory of a higher energy, constantly fed over lower and more elementary forces. 
Prayer is a simulation of the holy God's moral strength. We must work for this living. To feed the soul, we must toil at prayer. Prayer is the powerful appropriation of power, of divine power. And we need his power to live in this world. We need his strength. We need to pray for strength. We know that in and of ourselves, we cannot do it, and we need the strength of God. The fifth thing we should pray is that God would unite our heart to fear him. Look again at verse 11. It says, teach me your way, O Lord, that I may walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. David asked for an undivided heart in this verse. A divided heart can come in many forms. There's an insincere heart in which what we say doesn't match our attitude and actions. There's a hesitant heart which cannot fully commit itself. Even in our redeemed heart, we can still bear much of the old self that has resentment to authority. So we lack the desire to submit ourselves to God. And David's goal was not just a, a change for his own sake, but change for the glory of God, that he would fear God, he says, and have an undivided heart. And coming back to, to Calvin's rules of prayer, he says the first rule of prayer is a fear of God. And there's nothing worse than to be devoid of awe, Calvin says. Nothing worse than to be devoid of awe. We need to come to prayer so moved by the majesty of God that we are freed from the cares of this world. We need to be filled with the awe when we come into the presence of God through prayer. We need to be fearful of him. And there are many that I'm sure are confused of the fear of God, thinking it's just a fear of punishment. If our hearts are full of this type of fear, then we are either forgetting the gospel or we don't yet understand the gospel. Those that believe the gospel, who believe that, that the recipients of the undeserved and unshakable grace of God grow in a loving fear of God. So what does he mean here to fear his name, to fear him? Well, let me illustrate it. You would be quite afraid to hold a beautiful, priceless, ancient Ming dynasty vase in your hands. You wouldn't hold it willy-nilly telling Mike to go deep. You would hold it with awe. You would be afraid. Now, you wouldn't be afraid of the vase like it's going to attack you. It's a vase. It, it can't hurt you. You would tremble in fear because you might hurt it. Now, we can't hurt God in that way. We tremble in fear of God because we are in his presence with this intense longing to honor and praise him. We're deeply afraid of grieving him. That's what it means to fear God, to live in reverence of him and recognizing that he's the one who's done everything for us. This is having awe of God in prayer. So David prays, and we should pray that we would have an undivided heart and that our lives would live in holy reverence and godly fear of him. The sixth one and the last one, we pray that God would reveal himself to us. Verse 17, show me a sign of your favor that those who hate me may see and be put to shame because you, Lord, have helped me and comforted me. 
Edmund Clowney writes about this, this subject. God does not merely speak, but he's present. Prayer is steeped in the awareness, often an awe-filled awareness of the presence of God. We don't just believe in the glory of God, we sense his greatness. We don't just believe that he loves us, we find our hearts flooded with this. We pray to get more of God, not to get more from God. And the goal of all of God's favor to us and every answered prayer is not only a hope and joy, but also a clear statement to the onlooking world. David isn't asking for a favor for himself here. He's asking for everyone looking. All the enemies that have surrounded him, that they would see God. Remember, Jesus says, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. And Peter says much the same. He says, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of the visitation. David wants his faith, his whole life to to mean something to those watching. And the same should be for us. We want unbelievers to know that our God is the only God, the only way. And even more than that, we want them to know him and to be saved. What is prayer then? Prayer is the way to experience a powerful confidence that God is handling our lives well. That our bad things turn out for good. That our good things can't be taken away from us. And the best things are yet to come. We're reminded of this in prayer. God responds to your cry with an intense love and care of a parent responding to a cry of their child. When my three-year-old comes to my bed at two in the morning with an issue, She can do that. You cannot. She's my child. And I'll respond in love and kindness, hopefully. Because she's my child. And and we, as God's children, can go to him. And he responds that same way. He responds that way because we are in Jesus, his true son. And you can go to God with the confidence, knowing that you'll receive the same kind of attention and love. We we can go to the king of the universe, the creator of all, and he treats us that way with love and acceptance. How do we even have access to God through prayer? It's Jesus. You know, Jesus died praying. And he cries out from the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? 
And Jesus lost his relationship with the Father in those moments so that we could have a relationship with God the Father. Jesus was forsaken so that we could be remembered forever, from everlasting to everlasting. Jesus bore all the eternal punishment that our sins deserve, that they demand. That is the cost of prayer. Jesus paid the price so that we could come to God, that we could come before his throne. It's because of Jesus. Let's pray. God, I thank you that right now I can approach your throne. And it's only through Jesus. It's only through his his shed blood on our account that we can be saved and that we can come boldly. And God, I come before you and I ask that you would help us as your children to grow in this area of prayer. Help us to be faithful in our communication with you, God. May the conversation continue day in and day out, moment by moment. May we understand again today the privilege we have of prayer. The experience it is to to come before our maker, our creator, and know that you love us and care for us and you want to hear from us. God, I pray for those that are seated here this morning that do not have that access. You still hear their prayers, God. But they are not your children. They are not trusting in you. And I pray that today would be the day that they would repent of their sins, that they would turn away and receive Jesus and what he did for them on the cross and live for him. That he would experience the Holy Spirit coming to dwell inside of them. They would experience what praying is to God. They would feel joy and peace. I ask that you would save them. Now, God, as we transition here to celebrating the communion, the the time where you died on the cross, may you be honored and glorified as we do this, God. For we ask all in Jesus' name, amen.